0: The distinction is made between Moses, between Aaron, his eldest sons, and the elders, and then the people. So you've got these three distinctions. Moses is able to come close, Aaron and his eldest sons and the elders are to remain at a distance, and the people are to stay down at the base of the mountain. Following this in Exodus chapter 25, what we see is instructions regarding the tabernacle, God's portable presence with his people. And how the people are to go about relating uh, with him via the tabernacle. You may recall the tabernacle; it consisted of the holy of holies that contained the ark there within, and also the holy place in the courtyard. So there, there were these similar divisions there as well. The high priest was only allowed to enter the holy of holies one time a year on the day of atonement. So we see here, Moses is clearly set apart as one to whom God has placed a special call to serve as the intermediary between himself and his people and in this way he prefigures Christ the experience here for Moses and the people it had to be unique it was unique it was only by divine permission that they're allowed to come up and experience God's presence and his glory and again, I just want to say to us, this is a truth we can't ever get over. As sons and daughters of the king, the only reason we behold the glory of God is because we've been given eyes to see and ears to hear. Yeah. We've been singing the past few weeks that song, Behold Our God. It's a beautiful song that, that proclaims His truth. And then the chorus, Behold Our God, right seated on the throne. But we do that because something's happened inside us, right? Something has changed. There's been a transformation. Let's continue in verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and twelve pillars And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. This reference that we get here to the book of the covenant, that we included the Ten Commandments, which we looked at last week at the beginning of Exodus 20, plus all that the Lord revealed to Moses following the Ten Commandments, all the way through chapter 23. If you've read all of that, you know it's a lot, right? It's a lot of rules, a lot of regulations. There was laws about altars, slaves, restitution, social justice, Sabbaths, and festivals. And Moses, he takes it all in. He intentionally gets all of it. And he tells the people all the words of the Lord. He records all of his words. And then he reads all of it again. An altar is built. Memorials commemorating God's grace are erected. And blood is applied. So we see here a host of visible elements are present to help God's people grasp the significance of what it means to be His people, what it means to be in relationship with God. As I was reading through this early on in my sermon study for this sermon, verses 3 and 7, they just continued to jump out at me, especially in light of the context of Exodus. Remember, the people, they've seen God's power. They've seen Him send down plague after plague, destroying the Egyptians. They've seen Him part the waters of the Red Sea, allowing them to walk free on dry ground. They've witnessed the thunder and the lightning and the fire on Mount Sinai. They have beheld His glory. And they responded appropriately in verse 3. They answered with one voice. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then again in verse 7, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. The first point I want us to see this morning is, is to know God is to obey Him. To know God is to obey Him. In light here of God's glory, His majesty, His power, the people desire to obey. We don't get any sense of a half-hearted obedience, picking and choosing those commandments, those regulations that were more appealing. As Pastor Tim mentioned last week, at this point, they didn't even fully know all that this would involve, and yet they desired to, to obey all that he commanded. What about you? What about me? Do we desire, do we want to obey all the commandments of God? Do we see His commands as a path to our good, our delight, our joy, our flourishing? Or do they feel more burdensome? Do we sometimes want to pick and choose the ones that we feel like more applied and more helpful to us? Brother, sister, to know God is to rejoice in obeying all that He commands. The stipulations here of the Mosaic Covenant, they require complete, total obedience. And this is no different for us now under the privileges of the new covenant. Sure, some of the specific rules and regulations that apply to the nation state of Israel, they don't apply. But it's impossible. We can't water down loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving neighbor as self. We can't can't water that down. That's what it means to be the people of God. So God presents His offer to be their God, making Him their, His treasured possession on the condition that they obey all that's included in the book of the covenant. And the people say, yes Lord, yes Lord. There's enthusiasm, there's excitement. Yes Lord, You have delivered us. Yes Lord, You are our God. Yes Lord, we will obey. And again, I just ask you this morning, is that true of your heart? Are you there? Do you have that enthusiasm and excitement as you think about God's commandments. We also see here in these verses sacrifices being offered up to the Lord. The burnt sacrifices here represented atonement. The offering up of a slain animal served as a substitute for the sinner based ultimately on the sacrifice of Christ. In the peace offerings, they signified fellowship with God. That the people knew God. They were in fellowship with Him. In verses 6-8, through we see Moses take the blood from the sacrifice. He throws half of it on the altar. And the other half, he throws on the people. So our second point is to know God is to be covered in blood. If we know Him, we have been covered. We've been washed in the blood. Again, the blood represents cleansing, atonement. And it represents belonging to God. Consider this helpful, visible picture that the people were allowed to have as blood is literally thrown on them, splattered on them. Imagine being there. Imagine Moses taking a bucket of blood and just splattering it on you. You would have it all over your clothes. It would be in your hair, dripping down your face. You clearly would know that you were one who had been marked by blood. Christian, you are one who has been forever marked by the blood of the Lamb. We also see here a picture of what Christ ultimately accomplishes through the sacrifice of His blood. Tim alluded to this last week. Christ is superior to Moses, right? He's the mediator we need because His blood is poured out as the payment for our sin. Hebrews 9 verse 11 says this, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. And then jumping down there to verse 22 of chapter 9, Indeed. Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We now, as the people of God, as Hebrews 4 tells us, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence to find help in our time of need because we are those who have been covered. We've been washed with the blood. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're an unbeliever, You've not been covered. You've not been washed with the blood. You cannot experience a clear conscience. You cannot know the freedom of having your sins forgiven. And you cannot serve the living God. You need a spiritual heart transplant. And we would love to tell you how you can receive this new heart and this new spirit. Essentially it means repenting and believing. It means turning from your sin and your self-centered ways and trusting Christ for salvation. If you want to talk more, please find one of us. Find someone after the service. Let's look forward there. Move forward to verse 9. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu and Seventy of the elders of Israel went up and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. If we were to jump forward a bit to Exodus 33, what we find there is Moses again interceding on behalf of the people. And then he asked the Lord that the Lord might show him his glory. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will have mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So we know here that this seeing in verse ten of Exodus twenty-four, it's limited to some degree. Nonetheless, it's still amazing. It's still glorious. They're in the presence of Almighty God. They know they're dealing with a person. A pavement was under the feet of God that was as clear as the heavens. I I don't know about you, but one sapphire stone, some of you ladies may have a sapphire stone, it's pretty amazing. So you can imagine the weight of this entire pavement of sapphire under his feet. It sounds similar to what we see of the visions Ezekiel had while in captivity in Babylon. Ezekiel one, and above the expanse over their heads there was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like sapphire, and seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance, and upward from what had the appearance of his waist I saw as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire and clothes all around. And now, from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness all around him. Like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. To see God, to be in his presence... It's to fall on your face. It's to posture yourself appropriately. And, and they beheld him. We also see here, they ate and drank. Now we don't know what all this entailed. We don't get all the details of how this eating and drinking in God's presence transpires. But, but the text clearly says there that they ate and drank. We do know that in the ancient world, the sign of acceptance between nations or peoples certain uh, standards or an agreement on how they agreed to live and relate to one another, it would often be culminated by a meal. They would celebrate a meal together to, to demonstrate their agreement. And that's what happens here. Moses, Aaron, Aaron's eldest sons and the elders of Israel are allowed to partake of a meal in the presence of God, beholding His glory as His representatives to the nation of Israel. Our third point this morning, to know God is to behold His glory. To know Him is to behold His glory. Following this, Moses makes another trip, a further trip back up the mountain to meet with God. Yet this time, it's only he and Joshua that go up. Look there in verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and her are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses, out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain, in sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain for forty days and forty nights. So Moses, he places Aaron and her in charge. He tells them, "You handle the disputes. God has called us to go on up uh, the mountain again." And while he and Joshua go up, they receive the tablets of stone. Now the cloud we get that's mentioned here, it's the same cloud that we've seen before in Exodus. In in Exodus 19 and then earlier, Exodus 13, the pillar of cloud that, that guided them by day. The cloud represented the glorious presence of God. And Moses describes the appearance of the glory of the Lord as a devouring fire. We see here mention of of Moses entering in, but we don't get that specific mention about Joshua. He goes up, but it sounds as if he remains slightly outside the cloud. And the reference here to 40 days and 40 nights, that may not have been a literal 40 days and 40 nights, but we do know, based on Deuteronomy 9.9, that Moses fasted the entire time. Deuteronomy 9.9 says this, When I went up to the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of covenant the Lord made with you, I remained on the mountain forty days and forty nights, and I neither ate bread nor drank water. So going back to our third point, if I'm suggesting that to know God is to behold His glory, maybe we should flush out, what, what exactly is the glory of God? Well, as we've seen in this chapter, And as we've seen in other places in Scripture, think of Jesus' birth, think of the transfiguration. In one sense, God's glory is just this overwhelming brightness that surrounds His presence, right? We've seen that. But in another sense, the glory of God, it tells us something about His character, His nature. It's not attributed in quite the same way like His goodness or His mercy, His sovereignty, but instead, it's the honor and the praise that is due him because of all the divine attributes. All that he is summed up together, he deserves praise and he deserves glory. Wayne Gruden describes the glory of God as the superlative honor that should be given to God by everything in the universe. And we glorify God with our lives as we live lives that reflect his attributes, his goodness, his love, his mercy. To behold the glory of God is to behold who He is. We we looked at this last week in our CGG. And it's to posture one's life and actions in light of who He is. To behold Him as glorious is to experience change and transformation. We cannot behold the glory of God and remain the same. It will change us. It's impossible to behold Him in all His glory and splendor and remain the same. So all of life, hear hear this, all of life boils down to our view of God. Do we view Him as great, as awesome, as majestic, as holy? And do we give Him the glory that's due His name? The substance abuser who with God's help turns from his or her substance of choice beholds the glory of God. The husband who rises from the couch and helps where help is needed beholds the glory of God. The woman who leaves behind the comparison spin wheel to focus on an audience of one beholds God's glory. The teenager that cares more about what God thinks than what his or her peers think beholds the glory of God. The disciple who intentionally builds that bridge from the natural to the supernatural with a friend, a co a family member beholds the glory of God. And the disciple that chooses to go to a place, to a people, to make the gospel known, beholds the glory of God. And the church, the church that remains focused on doing church according to God's blueprint, beholds the glory of God. As I think about my own life, and as I reflected it in studying and preparing for this sermon, My struggle, it's not so much with acknowledging God's goodness, His mercy, His love, His sovereignty. The struggle is more not in taking all those divine attributes together and giving Him with my life the praise and the glory that's due His name. My struggle with sin at times is a struggle with indifference and apathy. And when this happens... Other created things become more appealing and more satisfying than God and God alone. I love sports. I enjoy sports. I played sports as a kid and I still enjoy them as much as I get to watch them now. I enjoy watching movies. I love to travel. But all of those things, they can easily become something I get caught up in and look to find all my meaning and satisfaction and life from Folks, we constantly worship. We worship all the time. We can't hit the pause button on worship. We're constantly making something known. And when we fail to behold the glory of God, we bow down to something or someone other than God. Allow me another brief self-disclosure. I'm a heavy sleeper. There's no sense in trying to deny this. The evidence is out there. It is true. The world's fastest steam locomotive could be coming, barreling down outside of my window, and there's a good chance. I'm oblivious to it. If one of the boys needs my assistance in the middle of the night, then I need assistance to be aware of. (laughs) I've given Holly permission. You can nudge me. You can shake me. Do whatever help me come to my senses if I need it in the middle of the night. You know, at times I think this is true of us spiritually. It's easy for us to be lulled to sleep. It's easy for us to drift off and become caught up with something, good things that God's given us to enjoy but they can become our everything and we can be lulled to sleep by them. We need a gentle nudge or maybe a splash of water in the face that says, wake up, wake up. You are the people of God. Your mission in this life is to make him known and to know him. Quit playing around. Quit wasting time. Get back on mission. The experience for the people of God and Moses in particular on Mount Sinai, it it was incredible. It was spectacular. The experience for Peter and James and John when Jesus is transfigured there before them, incredible. And yet the fullest display of God's glory took place on the cross, the cross of Calvary. As we behold the cross of Christ, we will be the people that God desires. As we behold the cross of Christ, we will do the things that God asks of us. As we behold the cross of Christ, we will be changed. Pastor Charlie and I and Sister Wendy, we recently returned from the Southern Baptist Convention. It was a great few days. We heard from pastors and leaders from across the convention. We heard great summaries, great reports of all the things that were going on and great challenges to press on forward in carrying out the Great Commission. And yet, as it always does with any great conference or sermon talk, the reality is that it alone, it cannot sustain the obedience to all that God's, God demands. It's only a vision of God's glory, which is enabled by the transforming power of the Spirit of God and the work of the human heart, that provides that lasting, sustaining fuel that is needed to carry out all that God commands. So I'm giving us, I'm giving myself, I've given it to myself first, now I offer it to you and I offer it to us as a church this morning, a personal challenge. And, and before I state, let me again offer this underlying assumption that reminds us all we do, that is all we do as believers in Jesus Christ is in response to his grace. So it's in response to His grace and it's empowered and enabled by His grace and power that is at work within us. But with that being said, here's the challenge. How has beholding the glory of God led you to do what you otherwise would not have done? How has beholding His glory, a vision of this glory that I've been describing, how has beholding it Moved you to action in a way that, that is radically different than what you have done in your own human, natural sense. In our home groups, in our Bible studies, in our discipling, can we regularly ask ourselves this question? I think what we'll see it leading to, hopefully, prayerfully, is, is some radical living, some radical sacrifice of our time, our money, and our resources. This may mean for you starting a neighborhood Bible study in your neighborhood and inviting your neighbors to come in your home to share with them the good news of Christ. You may have the opportunity to do a lunch or breakfast Bible study in your workplace. You might be led to pursue a relationship with someone solely for the purpose of leading them to Christ or discipling them in Christ. You may be led to give sacrificially. You may be led to just say, Lord, Lord, Help. I I want to give up these thoughts. Help me to stop entertaining thoughts that I know don't honor, don't please you. There's a sense here too, I think we have to say, Lord, help. Lord, show me what you want, and then help. Help me to behold your glory, to have a vision for your glory, and then to do what I know you're calling me to do. Moses beheld the glory of God, and he was not the same. Initially, he was afraid to speak. Aaron was his mouthpiece. And yet he led God's people with boldness and conviction. He trusted God to provide. He communicated to the people of God all that God revealed to him. He pointed the way forward to Christ. And yet he didn't see the full glory of the cross. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, your eyes have been opened to the glory of the cross. Therefore, with boldness, with compassion, with compassion, conviction and courage. Let us communicate to those in our sphere of influence what God has revealed to us and what he's done in us. Let's share that with them. Let's reveal to them the word of our testimony. Which brings us to our final point. Point four. To know God is to make him known. If we know him, not just know about him, but truly know him, we are going to be people who are about making Him known. We read earlier from 1 Chronicles 16, Sing to the Lord all the earth, tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength, Joy are in his place. If you look back at Exodus 24, verse 11, there's that little last phrase there that says, They beheld God, they behold him, and they ate and they drank. We know when the Passover was instituted, it included eating and drinking. Our Lord instituted the Lord's Supper. And we, as we did this morning, partook of the bread and drank the cup to remember the body broken, the blood shed, and to celebrate the new covenant. And at Christ's return, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, there is going to be eating and drinking as as well. And this is going to include those from every tribe and language and people and nation. It will include all peoples. Therefore, my brothers and sisters in Christ, our mission is to make Him known opportunity to make Him known, it doesn't end as long as we have breath. That is what we are to be about. That may mean you going, that may mean me going or or sending people, sending resources, but we're to be about making Him known. And we each, every single one of us, have opportunities to make His glory known. This week, Sister Pat moved into Independence Village off of Renola Road. Transitioning from complete independence to semi-independence, that may not have been her choice, but her attitude was and has been positive. And with this transition, she now will have contact with numerous other residents of Independence Village. She has a mouth to speak. She can make his glory known. Independence Village is now her sphere of influence. Amy is here this morning, as she shared in our first hour. The Lord is leading her to go to a people group in West Africa to make His name known. Where are you making His name known? What is your sphere of influence? As long as we have mouths to speak, let us proclaim His glory, telling the good news of Jesus Christ until He returns or calls us home.